Before we start, a quick content note. This episode contains accounts of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse and racism. You'll also hear some swearing. Previously on American Prodigies. This is not just a white person's sport, but it is owned and administered by white people. And that's a huge problem. Being a black gymnast in a white gymnast world was one of the hardest and toughest things that I've ever had to accomplish. Had I been more clued into the differences in culture and how our different athletes were brought up, I could have been much more helpful. And then, of course, you know, the whole style was majorette dancing, or that was where I drew inspiration from. I have a lot of family in New Orleans. We used to go every single year, so Battle of the Bands, I was in there. It's just a, a wonderful feeling for me to see more sisters and, and uh, young ladies of, of different cultures that are up there and that are really doing the doggone thing. Thank you for waiting, ladies and gentlemen. We've invited in the summer of 2021, the American Prodigies team got tickets to the biggest gymnastics event of the year. For followers of gymnastics and anyone who enjoys sport, a much anticipated moment has arrived. The first medal event for the women. You thought we were going to Tokyo? <laughs> nope. COVID was not going to let that happen. So instead, we did the next best thing. Welcome to Grambling State University in Lincoln Parish, Louisiana, home of the Tigers. Just as the Olympics were kicking off in Tokyo in July 2021, a hundred black and brown girls from all over the country gathered at Grambling. They were there for the fifth annual Brown Girls Do Gymnastics Conference and Invitational. And they got a little love from the GOAT herself, Simone Biles. I'm so excited to hear that you beautiful, smart, and talented young black and brown girls are interested in gymnastics. I started at a young age too, when I was six years old. And the one thing I always remembered during practice was how much fun I had on the floor. Enjoy the next few days, make new friends, and always remember to have fun. And families went to the conference to learn about gymnastics things, like how scores work, what implicit bias is, how to keep their children safe, happy, and healthy. I am doing a parent Q&A session, so helping the parents understand uh, maybe the score is that way because my kid fell five times, and now I understand that. Or maybe my score is that way because there's bias going on, and understanding the difference and then helping work with the coaches to navigate that. I think that's really important. At Grambling, we met the future of gymnastics and asked them who they looked up to. Once I saw Gabby Douglas, I was like, okay, she's pretty good. Gabby Douglas. Nia Dennis. Wait, no, Jordan Childs. Simone Biles works hard. She's a really good gymnast. And she is black like me. She's my idol. I remember when she did the salute, then I was like, oh yeah, now I want to do gymnastics. Yup, no cap, nothing. I want to be a gymnast. But Brown Girls Do Gymnastics, or Brown Girls for short, they want kids like Skylar, Carter, Brooklyn to get inspired by their peers. So their conference closed with an invitational meet. All black and brown kids on the competition floor split into two teams and an exhibition by current and former collegiate gymnasts. 
Like, we can all see, like, Gabby Douglas and Simone Biles, Lori Hernandez, Jordan Charles. Like, we see them on TV, and it's great to look up to them, too. And they have, you know, changed the sport for us. But I think having, like, people, like, right actually near you, you know, like, in your circle, you know? So I think Brown Girls Gymnastics does a great job of that, like, bringing girls together so they know, like... You may not see it like in this gym, but you have a girl that's your same age or same level, you know, doing the same things you're doing. And brown girls made sure that the people in charge looked like the girls and their families. The judges were black. The meet director was black. The coaches were black. The trainers were black. One of the things that y'all do that's so impressive is also providing a space for Black coaches and judges and all of the other people who make up a gym space. We don't want to just bring in the Black and Brown coaches and judges who are already coaching and judging. We want more Black and Brown coaches and judges. I'm Amira Rose Davis. In this episode, I talk to Darren Moore, the founder of Brown Girls. Before Brown Girls Do Gymnastics came about, I wanted some type of foundation or something that was geared towards like advancing gymnastics for black and brown kids, you know? And you know, they, the, the whole representation matters thing, like it, it's, it's cliche, but it's real. Darren and her team of judges, coaches, administrators, and parents have boots on the ground, making sure that future prodigies can fly in the sport and have a safe place to land. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey y'all, our custom American Prodigy Windbreakers giveaway has officially ended. Thanks for entering and congrats to the winners, Robert Pitts, Greg White, and Megan Barnes. We'll be reaching out via email this week with instructions. Yeah, like, why why, why would a brown girl want to do gymnastics? What is it about gymnastics, your own experience or ones that you've heard that draws people to the sport? The first thing that came to my mind is why wouldn't they? But that's because I love gymnastics. <laughs> Darren Moore's love for gymnastics is echoed by young gymnasts who attended the conference and meet at Grambling. I love it because I like to get the energy out. I like to be up doing gymnastics, just ready to flip. You get to do something you love, and it's, it just matters because you just love it. I feel like it's so fun to fly and to also get to dance. Oh, I don't know, I just kind of love this sport. I like tumbling, I like being in the air, I just, I just love it. And by the Brown Girls board members and mentors we met there. I feel like I tumbled out of my mom's womb into the world and I was like, here I am. I loved competing. 
being out on the floor. Uh, I mean, I felt like it was like my Zen place. It was kind of like I got lost um, in routines. I just like being able to flip around. I don't know why that's so fun for me. It's a weird situation, especially for black and brown people, because it's once you do it, it's like you've been bitten by the bug. Even if you're a little kid and you go upside down and you do a four roll, the, the look on the child's face is like, oh my gosh, my body just did this thing. Can you imagine when that child does like a cartwheel or a backbend or a back handspring, you know? Your body's doing things that your body wouldn't typically do. It's, it's almost like being a superhero, like you get to be a superhero, you know? Brown Girls was born in 2015 with a mission to serve underrepresented and marginalized athletes in gymnastics and the circus arts. Takia Wallace, who um, started Brown Girls Do Ballet, um, reached out to me in my inbox and was like, you should start the, the gymnastics one. Brown Girls supports gymnasts at all levels, including elite gymnasts. However, the organization is not a member of USAG. But USAG knows about brown girls. Does brown girls do gymnastics currently have any communication at all with USA Gymnastics? Yeah, we do. Um, they reached out to us 2020 when everybody reached out to us. Right, right. <laughs> In May 2020, George Floyd was murdered by Derek Joven, a white police officer. Once again we had to reckon with the reality of racism and police brutality. After George Floyd's death, Darren received an email from USAG. Like so many other companies, the organization fumbled in its efforts to show solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. So in many ways, it's not surprising that they reached out in, in 2020 because it felt like everybody was like, find a Black person. Mm-hmm. So what was it like for you to have put in all this work on this organization and to have said over and over again, you know, this is important, this is important, to have this moment in time where it's like everybody like was like, oh, this is important. Yeah, um, you exist just, now. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Which is like, it's it's super frustrating. That's exactly, it's, yeah, definitely frustrating. So when I got this email from USA... I was already immediately like, what? You want to post because George Floyd died. And that's, you know what I mean? Um, was killed because not died. Just those types of injustices, I it, it gets under my skin in a way that other things don't, you know? They reached out and, and basically asked if they could post us on their Instagram. Oh, so like optically. Yeah. And I was like, what else is going to happen? These are the things that we need. So you can post, but we also have to have these conversations and um, figure out something else that we can do to actually move us in the direction that we need to go in instead of just, you know, posting this thing on Instagram. That was just not cool to me at all. Darren eventually agreed to let USAG share images of brown girls on social media. In turn, USAG hosted panels on diversity and inclusion and gender equality. HBCU Gymnastics Day is a day created by Brown Girls to bring awareness to HBCU fans and alumni that gymnastics is a viable sport in the Black community. And on HBCU Gymnastics Day 2020, 
USAG was again allowed to post brown girls' images on social media. And they donated swag like crop tops and cinch bags to the girls at the fifth annual Brown Girls Conference. So they've been they've been more um, hands on than just what, you know, I I originally thought they were going to (laughs) do. So USAG is trying, I guess. Since its inception, Brown Girls has grown to include monthly workshops for gymnasts and their families, a training camp for young gymnasts, and of course, the annual conference that we attended at Grambling. The conference made an impression on the adults who accompanied the girls. So I was just talking to my daughter, Kyla, about this. Having something like Brown Girls is huge. That didn't exist when I was an athlete, um, and it's kind of hard to think about how long ago that was. But I just think of how awesome and amazing that would feel for me having something to look forward to like this every year. And so I think organizations like Brown Girls Do Gymnastics is so important to be able to, you know, show our kids that there are other people that look like them doing the sport. They don't always see that in their respective clubs. Um, And so I think it's very important for them to be able to see, see it in order to believe they can do it as well. Brown Girls is as much about educating and advocating for parents and guardians as it is for young athletes. The parents who we come in contact with now, most of them didn't do gymnastics, didn't know about gymnastics. Um, So we start with the the parents um, and teaching them about what the culture used to be. One thing that my experience in gymnastics has taught me is to just really grasp onto the things that make you feel good and hold on to the things that you're passionate about so that you can kind of grit your teeth and get through the rest of the shit that you have to deal with. Throughout this series, we've unraveled how gymnastics culture continues to threaten the well-being of Black girls. Time-wise and resource-wise, the sport demands a lot from its athletes. But even when Black girls and their families are all in, they face microaggressions that their white counterparts don't. Can you speak to some of the um, experiences or stories you've kind of heard that would make somebody want to leave a gym, even if they've found the resources? Yeah, there's so much. Um, The first thing that comes up for me is hair. I know we've discussed hair a lot because it's a big deal. I feel like other people, other cultures don't understand hair for us. Um, It's not just that our hair is different. Our hair holds so much power for us. When you come across people who don't understand it and who um, talk bad about it, it's more than just like, oh, I don't like your shirt. Like, it's major for us. Betty Okino, Sofina De Jesus, Nia Dennis, and Jordan Childs share gymnastic stories that are relatable to any Black girl in an environment where kinky and curly hair is not the norm. In 2012, Gabby Douglas's hair was a hot topic on social media and on major news outlets. All this was happening while Gabby was on her way to becoming the first African-American to win an all-around Olympic gold medal. I remember reading those and being like, why does this even exist? Like, when have we ever seen an article about a white athlete's hair um, doing any sport? Literally never. Darren has her own gymnastics hair story. So, like, I can remember even for me, like, doing doing gymnastics and being on a a cheese mat, um, which is like vinyl, 
and doing a roll and your hair oil is on the mat. You know what I mean? And Ew, what's that? And, you know, it's like, it's not ill. It's not dirty, you know? Um, but that consistently is, it, it will weigh on you. Dr. Courtney Johnson, Brown Girls Director of Sports Medicine, has a hair story too. One thing I remember a lot was the hair because the girls would like do, I don't know, a bun or two buns, whatever, but they would put all this glitter in their hair. And my mom was like, absolutely not. Absolutely like, not. Like glitter not, is a thing that never yeah. goes away either. Yeah. And she's like, we're absolutely not putting glitter in your hair. Even Black judges like Jasmine Swinnigan regularly deal with nonsense when it comes to her hair. I'm one of three Black judges in Minnesota. In the whole state? The whole state. There's like 55 of us. I'm one of three. My goodness. Yeah. And so like if I were to go to a gymnastics meet right now with my hair in braids, um, probably 10 people would pet my hair without my permission. Hair isn't the only difference people feel the need to point out about Black gymnasts. Microaggressions come in many forms. Dominique Dawes's bowed legs were compared to her white counterpart's legs. Nia Dennis's body was considered too curvy, too heavy. Betty Okino's Romanian heritage was conveniently overlooked by her Romanian coaches. And Black gymnasts, who don't go to the Olympics or have viral flow routines, face the same type of microaggression. I was competing, and at this point I was nine. My white coaches, like, pulled me aside and just said, like, you know, some of these meets we're going to, you may not get the scores that you deserve um, because you're Black, and, you know, it's, like, we're sorry about that, but, you know, you just know, like, what your scores consistently are, but... You know, it, it may be different when we go to some of these meets. And so eventually the question had gotten to race and I said, well, my mom's white and my dad's black. Questions that had come from that are, have you ever met your dad? Um, how many half siblings do you have? Um, you know, is he in prison? I can remember like my first week of practice in college, having a teammate walk up to me and just be like, oh, my gosh, this is so exciting. You know, we finally have a black girl on the team and my mouth kind of just dropped because at that time I didn't really identify as just being black um, because I am multiracial. I'm, you know, Mexican and black. And so it was just a shocker to me that someone would just say that just as if I were different. I had a couple of teammates who, black teammates who really excelled on bars and our, our coaches were always like, yeah, but your feet. Um, and I remember looking at their feet and I'm like, they're actually fine. Like there's actually not an issue. It's just that like one side is a different shade than the other side, but like, there's actually nothing like they're pointed. The judge said, oh, your, your leotard's too small. And I was like, my leotard's not too small. I just have a butt. <laughs> so it's going to ride up a little bit, you know, versus like the people that are, are a little bit flatter back there. It's disheartening that little Black girls might be judged unfairly simply because of their skin color, but it's not shocking. Even Simone Biles hasn't gotten the scores she deserved for skills named after her. I'm almost 99.9% .9 sure if any other athlete were to do it besides me, they would give it correct credit. But since I'm already way ahead of everybody, they kind of want to pull it back because sometimes they don't think it's fair that I win all the time. 
So there are a lot of things to just stack on top of each other that, eh, I don't want to do this party anymore. It's not for me, you know, or I don't belong here. But I'm wondering if y'all and how you approach these other issues, such as abuse, injury, racism, disordered eating with the gymnasts, with the coaches, with the parents involved in your organization? Woof. (laughs) Very carefully. We have a monthly meetup with our members. And when we first started the meetup, the girls wouldn't talk at all. When you have gymnasts and coaches, um, coaches don't ask gymnasts what they think, you know? So it was... It, it, it was really difficult. The meetup was supposed to be an hour and we got through all of our activities in like 15 minutes because they just weren't talking. But when we brought their parents in, the parents answered the questions for them because the kids talked to their parents about it, you know? So it's been a very slow process. And this was, I guess, two seasons ago now of getting the girls to even talk to us about what these issues may have been. It can take years for gymnasts to process what is happening around them and to them. So it's not surprising that the girls weren't able to verbalize their experiences during the initial Brown Girls meetups. Betty Okino, who trained at the Caroli Ranch in the 90s, didn't fully understand what had happened to her until she was in her 40s. And it was only recently in the last year as I researched that I began realizing that I had trauma from my gymnastics experience. And it's interesting with um, acute traumas, how until we're ready to, I guess, process them, and see them for what they are, they can remain hidden to us. That's our body's uh, denial system, defense system, our protection that allows us to uh, still function until we can actually deal. Darren and the Brown Girls team continue to have monthly meetings. And at the fifth annual conference, they invited a psychologist to help the girls open up about their experiences even more. Nellie Biles, Simone's mom, also saw the value in seeking professional help for her daughter early in Simone's career. At 13, at age 13, I remember we talked about getting her to a sports psychologist. I believe in in counseling for these kids at young ages. I mean, this is not something to be ashamed of, to go and speak to someone. There's a balance. It's like empowering them to be Black girls and then empowering them to be gymnasts and then Black gymnasts in this sea of like of gymnastics, which before you weren't empowered to do anything other than tumble. It's just difficult, I feel like, um, because of that authoritative relationship between a coach and a gymnast. Yeah, for sure. How are the conversations with the parents on these topics? They're interesting. Um, We have a workshop where we have veteran parents talk to the parents. And we coined it the Brown Table Talk a few years ago. And I think because it's more like peer based, they open up and 
the biggest point that they take away from that is to advocate for their gymnast. Being an advocate for your daughter in a predominantly white sport and taking her to practices regularly is a huge emotional and time investment for gymnastics families. But the financial investment that gymnastics requires is definitely one of the top reasons keeping Black girls out of the sport. Gymnastics ain't cheap. So between the two of them monthly, I spend close to $750 a month for meat fees, coaches fees, and all that, 22, maybe about $4,000 for the combined. Um, and then they have uniforms every probably two years, and that's a good, you know, three, four, four hundred dollars for per child. I don't know. It's a whole lot of money. <laughs> Gymnastics is expensive. It's super expensive. When I did the math now as an adult, I'm like, it's like a mortgage payment every month. Tuition prices get higher, you know, the, the better that you are. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's a car payment for most people. Um, you know, it's a very expensive sport. I mean, you could be, especially during competition season, I mean, you could be spending easily about $1,000 a month. I would say if you're an optional gymnast, you're going to spend at least four to $500 a month on tuition. You will probably have eight or so regular season meets. And so each regular season meet, um, your entry fee is around 75 bucks. Between the monthly gym tuition, coaches fees, food, lodging, and travel for competition. It may be like 2,000 or so a season per gymnast. Choreography and music fees. Four to 500 a routine. Grips, leotard, and gymnastics camps. A thousand to fifteen hundred dollars for camp for a week. Parents can um, easily dish out fifteen thousand dollars per year for higher level gymnasts. I don't think I'm missing anything. I may be missing something. Well, the way we're already like <laughs> <laughs> so much money. So Shay Campbell um, at UCLA, her yeah. mom's on the advisory council. Mm-hmm. Her mom was like, I've already paid for college. Like, yeah, she got a full ride at UCLA, but like, I've already, I already spent, paid for that. Yeah. yeah, you know? That is a big part of why it's a predominantly white sport. Like, I wish gymnastics could be accessible for any girl that would want to do it. To make gymnastics more accessible, Brown Girls has virtual classes and scholarships for their camps and conferences. I know like other places have like scholarships or whatnot, but I'm thinking about like what it looks like to foster a pipeline for like all black girls, including those who um, lack in resources. It's so difficult. We do have um, folks who donate to us for scholarships, but it's specifically for conference and camp. But figuring out ways to support young gymnasts on a monthly basis so they can attend practices regularly, continues to be a challenge for brown girls. If you pay for a month and then they can't pay for the rest of, you know, that money's just kind of wasted, so it's it's hard. How many girls have had to quit gymnastics because their families couldn't afford the sport? Who knows?
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My goal is to go to the Olympics and uh, to college and be a college gymnast. And then once I'm done with that, then I'm trying to be a gymnastics coach. Okay. College gymnastics was always the goal from when I started competing when I was eight. I remember uh, my parents both sat me down and they're like, this is expensive. Like, this is a big time and money investment. So, like, what do you want out of it? And I'm like, I want to do it forever. And they're like, what is forever? And I'm like, college, because <laughs> I'm eight. Nia Dennis, Sofina De Jesus, E.B. Price, Hallie Mosette, all had successful careers as college gymnasts. And Jordan Childs is currently at UCLA racking up tens in competitions. But they all went to PWIs. None of these women that I interviewed could have attended an HBCU and continued in gymnastics because no HBCU had a gymnastics team. In the mid-20th century, HBCUs were at the helm of collegiate women's sports. Before Title IX was enacted in 1972, that's the legislation that mandated equitable resources for men's and women's sports, one of the few places that a woman athlete could get a scholarship was at a HBCU. But despite the opportunities for women athletes at HBCUs, there has never been a competitive women's gymnastics program at one. And Brown Girls has been campaigning to remedy that. At the time of the fifth annual Brown Girls Conference, Grambling was vying to be the first HBCU with a collegiate women's gymnastics program. And I was wondering if you could just talk about the importance of um, having gymnastics at HBCUs and how it has been to kind of work on these initiatives. It's important for so many reasons. <laughs> the, the first thing that um, comes to mind, um, just the decision that girls are having to make. Girls who go all the way level 10, uh, maybe even elite, um, they don't have the choice of going to that HBCU that their granddad went to. And they may be going to, you know, home football games for all of their lives and going back for home, coming with their family, and they don't get to have that experience. Deetra Dennis, the mom of viral sensation and former UCLA gymnast Nia Dennis, remembered family outings to the Bayou Classic the annual football game between Grambling and Southern University. This HBCU tradition is celebrated the last week of November. My father's family is from New Orleans, Louisiana, and every year we would go for Thanksgiving to the Bayou Classic, and we would be highly exposed to all of the Black fraternities and sororities and the stepping and the battle of the bands and that whole culture and atmosphere was just so beautiful. And um, my husband, Casey, he would be stepping and, you know, all the time. And he would show Nia these, um, these steps and he and Nia would be stepping. And I thought, oh, that's cute. But then she actually incorporated that into her routine. I thought, that's unique. 
Because there were no gymnastics programs at HBCUs, gymnasts had to choose between an HBCU experience, which meant leaving gymnastics, maybe joining the cheer squad or dance team, or continuing with gymnastics by attending a predominantly white university. I don't know, like, I want to go to HBCU because I want to, like, support my culture and stuff like that. But I don't know, sometimes I also want to go somewhere else because they have better gymnastics or better educational programs, stuff like that. Oh, my gosh, that's another thing. I get so upset because, like, I want to do college gymnastics. But then again, I want to get my HBCU experience in. And there's nowhere for me to do that. And I also want to get my nursing school experience in. But there's nowhere to do that. And it's very heartbreaking because I really do want to do it. But by the time I get to college, there's not going to be any HBCU gymnastics teams, which sucks. Well, there were no gymnastics programs at HBCUs when we went to Grambling in 2021. But there soon will be. Because in February 2022, Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee, announced that they'd be starting a gymnastics program just in time for the 2023 season. Of course, we've been talking about gymnastics at HBCUs, and when we started talking about them, uh, it was really a push with Grambling, obviously. And then out of nowhere, you know, we see this news <laughs> that um, Fisk has announced the the creation of a program. So what's, what's going on? What's happening? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Fisk came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere for us, too. <laughs> Fisk was a surprise choice because it's a small liberal arts school known more for its academics than for its sports. So there's a mom. Her name is Terika Cromarty. She reached out to us like two or three years ago about the HBCU um, campaign and um, was really interested. She has two daughters who, who do gymnastics. Her kids go to uh, Simone Biles gym. Her oldest daughter is graduating high school this year. So when she reached out, she was maybe like freshman, sophomore in high school. And um, she wanted to see um, her go to an HBCU. And so... Over Thanksgiving, um, she reached out to me and was like, I'm talking to my uncle about HBCU gymnastics. And I was like, oh, cool. And she was like, he thinks he can make it happen at Fisk. And I was like, what? The uncle she was talking about is Frank Simmons. And so the conversation started because he was asking her daughter, um, the, her oldest daughter, where she was going to school. And she was naming all these PWIs. And he was like, well, where are the HBCUs? And she was like, well, I'm a gymnast. There's no gymnastics at HBCUs. Um, and he just, he couldn't believe it. After learning that gymnastics wasn't available at HBCUs, Frank put Darren in contact with the president of Fisk University, Dr. Van Newkirk Sr. And so I was like, who is this person that he can just you know, called up the president of FISC. Um, so it turns out that he's um, on the board of trustees and he is who really pushed this to happen. We did talk to the president maybe two weeks after. He loved the idea. They wanted to build the athletic department a bit. So that worked for them. They are really um, excited about empowering women, which I thought was awesome. Darren hardly had any pushback about starting the program at Fisk. One board member even committed to supporting the program financially. 
well, I won't say names, but someone on the board donated $100,000 almost immediately. um, And they want to do that every year. While $100,000 cannot compare to the millions of dollars spent at established gymnastics programs at large Division I schools, it is certainly a great start. Some smaller schools are running their programs on only $45,000 a year. Fisk is also going to support the gymnastics athletes through academic scholarships. And a private donor has partnered with Brown Girls HBCU Gymnastics Alliance Initiative to provide Fisk with even more funds. The way that Fisk is looking at it right now is they want to go merit uh, scholarships first, which is great because gymnast, the median GPA, um, I think as of five years ago, was 3.6. So these kids can come in and get academic scholarships and then they can supplement with athletic scholarship money. Um, and, And then the private donors. Brown Girls Do Gymnastics is also working with the company, but they've already, um, solidified $10,000 that that will go to our HBCU Gymnastics Alliance, um, which right now Fisk is the only school. So um, we can, you know, funnel that money to them. Now that Fisk has a gymnastics program and it's financially viable, the next to do item was to find the right coach to head up this brand new team. Brown Girls also provided Fisk with a short list of possible qualified coaches. Every single person on that list was a Black woman. Did you get to have any influence on who the coach would be? Um, you get a voice at the table. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we had a little bit of a voice. So they, they really wanted someone with college coaching experience. And so that's already a short list, you know. Of course, for me... I mean, I'm the founder of Brown Girls to Gymnastics. I wanted to see a, a woman of color. I wanted to see a, a black woman um, with it being an HBCU. Exactly. So there there was a list. Um, they asked us to, you know, give them a, a, a list of folks who we thought would be good. And so there's, the person is from that list. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> I heard a rumor that it is a black woman. Yeah. So, well, now I'm very excited. I talked to Darren before the formal announcement was made. And it turns out the rumor was true. And that Black woman is Corrine Wright-Tarver. So you have just been named the first head coach of the newly launched women's gymnastics program at Fisk University. Congratulations. Thank you. Corrine is a trailblazer. In 1989, as a student at the University of Georgia, she became the first African-American NCAA all-around gymnastics champion. Uh, The college scene looked like every other gymnastics scene back then. There was a sprinkle of us, so it wasn't any different. At Georgia, she was a nine-time All-American gymnast. Before going to college, she also competed on the U.S. national team in 1985 and in 1987. I was already in a semi-celebrity status going on campus. Not that I was a big wig, but it wasn't like I was just like, people looking at me, oh, who's this kid? Who's that? Um, and it was a big deal, like that I was a black gymnast, but I think it was also a big deal that I had just made the national team and then I was coming to Georgia. So that was huge because back then that wasn't normal. Her gymnastics career spans beyond being an athlete. I mean, I've been a gymnast, I've been a collegiate judge, I've been a 
collegiate coach and I've been on the administrative side. So I've actually seen every side of college gymnastics there is. Listen, you're no stranger to being a barrier breaker, um, <laughs> but I'm wondering if it feels, if you feel any sort of like extra burden or extra pressure to succeed you know, because of this visibility and because it is the first and because you have this spotlight, do you feel like you can box out all that noise or does that just like lay an extra fire? Uh, both, uh, both, honestly. Um, it's it's a little overwhelming right now trying to figure out um, what has to be done. If it, if it crashes and burns and it's going to be that, you know, it could be the end of HBCUs even considering it. And I don't want that to ever be the case. So yes, there's, but I think that's also why there's so many people out there that are like, we're not going to let this crash and burn. So whatever you need, we're going to get it done. Right. So I know I have so many, you know, I guess I can call them guardian angels to some extent out there who are ready to catch me if I start to fall. So, and I can rely on and lean on if I just need whatever. This is extremely excited. I mean, the reception that I have received is incredible. There's not a person on that campus that hasn't said, what do you need? What do you need? We're going to make this work. They're all in. (laughs) In addition to receiving a wonderful reception from Fisk, Kareen has received encouragement from the collegiate gymnastics community at large. University of Michigan, University of Central Michigan, Rutgers, and the University of Florida are among the programs that have already contacted Fisk to offer support to the fledgling program. There's not just um, just the HBCU community that wants, but the gymnastics community wants this to succeed. Have you begun to recruit? Is that one of the things on your long list? I have begun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have begun. Darren was great with this. So she had a, a list of athletes that she had had, but also there have been a lot of athletes that had contacted Fisk as soon as the announcement came out. They were sending information to Fisk. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully we can find some of those girls who are diamonds in the rough, as well as girls who have names that want to go to an HBCU. Corrine will probably be the first Black woman coach for most of the gymnasts at Fisk. All of the Black gymnasts I've talked to remembered being one of the only Black girls on their team. So for my whole career, I was the only Black girl on the team, which I thought it was normal. I mean, when I first became an elite gymnast, there were still way more white gymnasts than there were other gymnasts of color. It's no joke. It's a predominantly white sport. It's a white sport. They've had to deal with isolation, misunderstandings, and outright racism. In addition to all the other messiness gymnastics brings. Anything slightly askew, any little bit of like perceived talking back is going to be misjudged because of the color of the skin. Right. Because it's not just that you're a sassy gymnast, you're, you're a black girl, exactly. you're ungrateful. Exactly. You're, you're all whatever stereotypes they have already laid on you. Gymnastics has long been coded as a white sport. And while Black athletes at the highest levels are challenging that idea, few have experienced a Black woman head coach or a Black gymnastics staff in general. The 2023 gymnastics team at Fisk will be among those few. I can't overstate how special and important it is that the young Black women on the Fisk gymnastics team are going to be guided by a Black woman 
who has been there and done that. I think the most important thing is the fact that I've been where they're where they are right now. I mean, as a as a black woman, as a black gymnast, as all of that, I've been there. I'm hoping that the fact that they see me and know that I was a collegiate gymnast and I was in the position where they might be where I was the only brown <laughs> skin anywhere to be looked down initially at first, that it will help them to say, okay, she gets it. So I'm excited about that. One thing impressive about brown girls is that they're not just about creating diversity among athletes, but Brown Girls is working to shift the power dynamics in all gymnastics spaces by increasing the number of Black coaches, Black judges, and Black administrators in the positions of influence. I'm proud of where we are, but we have so far to go. What's next for Brown Girls? Well, Darren's not telling. I don't know if I can tell you what's next. It's a secret. Ooh, that <laughs> that makes me excited because it feels like it's really big then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is really big. Um, oh my God. <laughs> but what has already been accomplished by Darren, Kareen, and all the Black gymnasts who have made history and who are continuing to make history give the future Black prodigies solid ground to stand on. Now it's not just... I want to be a superhero. It's I see these black girls who are superheroes. You know what I mean? And so I can actually it's closer. And I feel like more black and brown girls feel like they can do it in a way that we didn't necessarily feel like we could before. You know? Yeah. Well, there's a there's also a poetry to how you're describing and how really almost everybody I've talked to describes the freedom they find in the air. And like you said, pushing yourself. And I think about it like. It's a way to be limitless in a world that so often places limits on you everywhere else. Absolutely. That was poetry. (laughs) (laughs) I was supposed to end this series with this episode, but there is so much more to unpack. In the final episode of this season of American Prodigies, I'm going to tell you all the gymnastics stuff I wanted to talk about, but that didn't make the cut. Honestly, eight episodes just weren't enough. This episode of American Prodigies was reported and hosted by me, Amira Rose Davis. Story editing and production by Jessica Luther. If you want to hear more of my interviews with gymnasts, subscribe to Blue Wire's Apple Podcast subscription channel. Along with ad-free episodes, you can listen to my full interview with Darren Moore. Search Blue Wire in Apple Podcasts for access to all the extended interviews. It's free for the first seven days. Subscribe today. This episode featured archival audio from the Olympic Channel. Jessica Bodiford and Kelly Hardcastle-Jones are our senior producers. Sound design, mix, and mastering by Camille Stennis. Isabel Jocelyn, Kayla Stokes, and Jordan Liggins provide production assistance. Fact-checking was done by Mary Mathis and Jessica Luther. Production coordination by Devin Shepard. We had research help from Shawetha Surendran, Miriam Khan, and Mary Mathis. American Prodigies is executive produced by Peter Moses and John Yales. But that's me and Diane Durham. 
in the 80s. This blouse is yes, <laughs> and the long skirt. So yeah. that was that. That was when I was like, I think I was like 14 years old at the time. Oh my goodness! But I was uh, so excited to meet her, and I just remember thinking, okay, yeah, I'm gonna catch up to her. And then I was like, I'm gonna compete against her. I don't want to just meet her. I'm gonna compete against her. And then I'm see if I can find the other picture. It, it was us all standing uh, in front of the judges to salute, you know, like you have to go to the judges before and they talk to you or whatever the case may be. And it was um, at uh, Elite Classic Me and I was in the rotation with Carolis. So mm-hmm. I was standing there with Diane um, and I was like, yeah, I said I was going to make it here and this is where we are. <laughs> I was like... Now she kicked my butt, but that's okay. But you're here. But she you're was number here. one in the country at the time. So right. I, you know, I'm, I, it's like, you know, I, I was okay with that. 